RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned. I am Brian. This is the show where you can learn from our mistakes. Joining me this week are Dusty. Hey, guys. Hey, Dusty, our usual host. Yep. And Mike. Hey, Brian. So I'm starting off the show this week because uh, Mike and I are grilling Dusty on his game that he plays with our friend Martin. It's in Castles and Crusades. Which, it is. Which I have never played. Me neither. You know, that surprises me because Castles and Crusades is one of the two games right now where I'm a completionist. Like every time Stephen Chenault, who, who runs Trollord Games, does a Kickstarter, I back his stuff. And and by the way, I, I always say this, no affiliation. No, he, he, no, Don't know the guy, never spoken with him. He has no idea we're saying this. Um, I'm not, and I'm not wholeheartedly endorsing the game for everyone. It just so happens to be one of the games that I'm in love with, and I'm in love with it because of Martin's campaign. So, how 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 far back does this game go? With the alliteration, it makes me think it's uh, an early derivative of D and D, but I'm guessing that it's probably not. Uh, Castles and Crusades is technically um, OGL 3.0, 3.5. Um, so technically it's derived from the, from the 3.5 OGL, but it has much more of an old school bent, but I really like it. I mean, to me, when I look at castles and crusades, castles and crusades is an alternate universe fifth edition. Like a lot of the things, I, yeah. a lot of things that fifth edition did where fifth edition said, okay, forget the extra defenses, forget fortitude and reflex. You're just going to make saving throws against your normal six stats what used to be your reflex saving throw and then ultimately became your reflex defense in 4th edition, that's now just a dexterity saving throw in 5th edition. The same is true in the Castles and Crusades, and it, and it was that case for years. So Castles and Crusades has nothing outside of the six basic attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, the neat thing they did is they have these primary and secondary attributes. So if you're a fighter, strength is one of your primary attributes. That means, here's, the, here's what I really love about Castles and Crusades. If you make a strength check as a fighter, mm-hmm. you're rolling against a 12. Your goal is to hit a 12. If you make a dexterity check My as a fighter. My dog Max agrees. Yes. <laughs> I, haven't play, I haven't played Castles and Crusades, but it sounds like he has. Yes. The dog is always there, but only today is he barking for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Anyway, um, if as a fighter, as the same fighter, if I make a dexterity check and it's a secondary attribute, my target number is 18. So players just know that. Everyone just knows that. Primary attributes, if you're rolling, you're trying to hit a 12. Secondary, you're trying to hit 18. And then the GM can add difficulty to it. So the GM could say difficulty 5. Well, if it's a primary attribute, that means you got to hit a 17. If it's a secondary attribute, you got to hit a 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, which, you know, is, is easier math than you think. But it's, it's really cool because it's a neat way to make sure that the rogues succeed on a lot of deck stuff but fail at other stuff to make sure fighters succeed on a lot of strength stuff, but miss on other stuff. So it's, re- it's a neat differentiating mechanic. The reason that I'm, that throws me off is because again, we have so many systems rattling around in our heads that we've played recently. And that would just be something else that I would lose track of. You say that I will admit, Brian, the, the main reason I love this system is there's a character creation spreadsheet by a guy named Eric Campion. And that spreadsheet is the reason I like the game because it manages all that for you. Because to make things even harder, 
for your saving throws, not all the time, but mm-hmm. for a saving throw, you can add half your level. Oh wow! To what you roll. Well, that amongst other things, the, the, the primary, secondary, the adding half your level, and all that. This spreadsheet character builder that this guy created manages it all for you. So right there on my character sheet, I have you know all my stats: strength, dexterity, charisma, intelligence, wisdom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have it all, and then I have my normal target number. So I have my modifier, my normal target, and my saving throw target. Mm-hmm. So it has all my numbers right there in easy reference. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, I, I, we talked a while ago about games should be digital first, yeah. especially this day and age. Yeah. And Castles and Crusades isn't, but this spreadsheet makes it makes the experience that way for me. And I love I love my characters in Martin's game. How long have you been playing this campaign? A couple of years. But this is probably a story that most gamers are familiar with. We only play, uh, I think, on average, five times a year. Oh, wow. We've been playing since 2015, and we are up to our 13th session. Wow, we do that in a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah we do that in, in, in less in than six, a year. In six months, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we in Martin's game, I don't get to play very much. Actually, ironically, I don't get to play much, but when I do play, I play a whole lot. It's kind of like one of those days when it rains, it pours, you get together and you play like all day. Yeah, well, we actually don't. We play about two to three hours, Huh. but I play two characters ah. and there's usually one other player playing two characters. So I am, quote, taking my turn a lot. Gotcha. That's, that's the exact opposite of someone else we know who told us that he often plays like weekly in a game where there's like 18 people at a table. And you never actually have a turn for like, it's like 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, in Martin's game, because I run two characters, and then Martin plays with his brother. So his brother Bernard, I'm intruding on their game, but they're both very gracious about it. And we all have a great time. But Bernard plays two characters, and it feels like I'm, I mean, I'm playing half the time. So it's a lot of play density. I can't imagine playing with my brother. Just my brother would totally not. Any of them, none of them would, would be not into be this. into this. No. Yeah, that, that'd be like me playing D anD D with my sister. I don't. I don't see that happening either. That'd be I, weird. I could see. I could totally see playing D anD D with my siblings, but not right now. I could see your everyone. Sis- everyone's busy and all that. I could, Mike. I could see your sister being more into it than my brothers. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah I think that's fair. Yeah. It'd be really weird to play with your brothers. Yeah. I mean, Steve is awesome and all that, but Steve doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> he would roll 16 he would have a lot of surly <laughs> a surly contemplative moments in character yeah so so how confusing is it trying to play two characters in a single game ah uh, not at all man you, yeah. you'd think it would be um and, and in fact mike when we when we played in your game when chris and i sorry brian played in your game mike yeah and we right. played two characters each it was a bit confusing yeah uh, i mean who am i what tournament taking but I've been playing long enough that I, I may not recommend it for beginners, but it's for whatever reason, it's no problem. I mean, it, 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 I play a cleric and a fighter. They're very easy to keep separate. They have very different stats. There are very different things they should be doing in combat because my cleric, you know, I, I, I straight up rolled 3d6, by the way, for every stat. I rolled 3d6 in front of Martin, so my characters are not that, that, that effective. They're not that mechanical. Yeah. They're not that optimized, and there there are there are very different things they should be doing and thinking about. So it's pretty easy to keep them separate. So you've been playing the game now for three years. What so what 
what's your campaign like? What's the structure of the game? Totally different from mine. Totally different. So Martin has this homebrew setting called Dehanan. And it, it's this, I mean, he sent me the map. He sent me the world map. And we're going through his homebrew setting. And to tell you a little bit of the campaign, where we're playing from off of a boat, basically. There's this boat, and, and we, we, we go from port to port. And for the most part, with some exceptions, for the most part, the, the, the journeys by boat take place between sessions. And then during the session, we've landed at a port, and we have an adventure in some port. So it's a lot like an episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Where, okay, at the beginning of the episode, you drop out of warp at some planet, and then you have your whole adventure on that planet, and at the end, you leave. And, and that's what the game is like. So what that makes the game like, man, um, it's setting-driven. Have you ever read Orson Scott Card's uh, Characters and Viewpoint? No, I've not, I've not read Ender's Game either. So Characters and Viewpoint, is, it's, it's not a fiction. It's a book about writing. And he talks about he talks about a lot of things. God, it's a great book. If you're a writer, I really recommend it. Again, no affiliation. Um, but he talks about some different kinds of stories and ways to structure stories. And there's the character-driven story. There's the plot-driven story. Uh, and and like plot-driven would be classic Star Wars. Yeah. That that plot is happening, and that's what drives the story. I can't think of anything character-driven right now, but I'm sure we've all seen that that character-driven drama where the characters drive the action. Well, then there's stuff like Dune, where it's setting-driven. Almost the point of the story is to communicate this alien world to you. And that's what Martin's game is like. Martin's setting is the point of the game. And it's it's a it's an extremely detailed, rich setting. Like I can't imagine the the prep and thinking he must do to bring his game to life. But his setting is the point. So when you say that basically it's kind of like going to a planet and then leaving. So it sounds like each game features a dramatically different uh, portion of the world, or yeah, it does. I and we've been moving toward a. I, I don't know how to put it. We, yeah, it's just everyone's different. Every little town is different. Every little town has their own has their own ecosystem environment thing going on, and there's always the status quo. And usually, our characters don't like the status quo, but there's not a lot we can do about it. Because Martin makes the game so realistic with such realistic um, consequences to your actions. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's an example. We wound up on this island, and this island had this really uneasy alliance between this cult down by the docks and and this thieves guild, and a lot of good people are getting screwed over by this. And I'm digging into it with Martin and trying to figure out how we can interfere and, and, and fix things. And I try a couple of things. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell a story. I tried to counteract the cult with my cleric going around healing those people that truly needed it. Now, because of the cleric's healing that I had at that level, I could only do one cure disease per day. Mm -hmm. But I could also cure a bunch of wounds. So people that, that had like broken legs and stuff, I could cure those. So I had my character do that to try to counteract the cult. And, and Martin totally monkey-pawed me. Like I got what I wanted but not in the way I wanted it. Next thing I know, there's this endless sea of need of yeah. people, <laughs> of, of sheep in search of a shepherd, of, of people in need of a leader. And all of a sudden, I can't go anywhere or do anything. Martin's making me roll for the number of hours that I am delayed <laughs> by by vagrants and missionary or whatever looking for me to heal them, even if there's like practically nothing wrong with them. 
like, hey, I got a splinter. Can you heal it? Like, no. Okay, that's kind of awesome. That sounds yeah, that's kind of it, awesome. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, the way he does it is amazing. Like, like you, you never get... It's not a cartoon, right? When you look at G.I. Joe the cartoon or any cartoon from, from us as kids, there's a right thing you can do. There's a couple of right actions you can take to fix that island. But in reality, the way Martin's laid it out with the social pressures and the economic pressures and the strange equilibrium that's been reached, anything I do to upset the apple cart is going to cause more problems than it will solve, especially in the short term. And if I'm going to leave, you know, and not stay to maintain whatever piece I broker, then there's, there's almost no point. So it's my characters having to learn this lesson in Martin's game that I can't just go around making the world a better place that life is more complicated than that. And it, it it's such a more grown-up game, I guess, than our game. It, it almost sounds like there is no victory. There's only attrition. And your real victory is to make sure that you profit from the attrition. Yeah, and having said that, we, we have some quests that our characters... So Martin asked me, he's like, what is your character doing? And I, I said, I just came up with something that he could easily make fit his world, right? I said, okay, my character, has he's a, he's a cleric of this god. And you know what? He's such a god bother that the other clerics don't like him. And I said, secretly, the other clerics sent him out on some stupid quest to get rid of him. But he is really serious about collecting all the maps that he can to put together this one ultimate atlas of the world based on every other map he can get his hands on. And that's his quest. Hmm. And Martin has, I mean, so you say that there's really no, uh, no victories ever. Well, against my quest... I'm finding maps and, and Martin is running with it and I'm uncovering all kinds of stuff about this lost continent that Martin is building his game around. So he's, I, my character is progressing and I feel like I'm achieving really cool stuff. It's just that I can't do the popcorn Captain America. Let me jump in with a couple of glib one liners and, and you know, change this Island for the better. I don't have time. So, I've got to worry about my quest and move on. So basically like every character I've ever ran, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do the justice. Yeah. You can't do the cop. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You can't be the world's police, especially if you're going to leave tomorrow. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me. So as long as you've played this, this is far and away the most I've heard about this. Yeah. I don't talk about it very much. No, you don't. So I know that Martin as a GM sounds like one, he creates really interesting settings, but when he is GMing a game, how is he in creating the NPCs that you have to interact with? What what's what's that like when Martin is running a character? Um, he he's a lot more. He doesn't act as the character. He'll occasionally make gestures and he'll occasionally use a voice, but it's pretty rare. For the most part, he just describes to us in matter of fact terms what the character is doing. So, for example. One character that we dealt with was this wizard that had kind of been driven mad by his power, and he basically stayed high all the time to cope with it. And I think I think Martin's drawing from, you know, college in the early 80s that he experienced and we didn't. But uh, there's this kind of drug-addled wizard that we're dealing with. And Martin didn't play drug-addled, but he, he straight up described it. But he described the drug-addledness and the drug-addled behavior and the erratic behavior without, without doing it. So Martin's he just describes it. To, to your point, Brian, he doesn't like fall into character very much. He tells us what we see and what we feel and what we hear. Well, not what we feel. He tells us what we see and what we hear, what we smell. He, he tells us all that without acting it out. And it works really well for Martin. 
by the way, just so those of you at home know, we all know Martin. We've all yeah. worked with Martin for years. Yeah. yeah. And Martin will never listen to this because he doesn't, he doesn't really engage with, with the social media slash digital world very much. But unreservedly, Martin is the, I almost said his last name, Martin is the smartest human being I've ever met. I agree. Dude's yeah. fluent in Russian. Dude's fluent in German. Dude is, I mean, he's so well-read that anything you bring up- It's scary how it well- It is scary. Like, it is scary how well-read Martin is. You meet those guys that claim to know a lot, and then you research it, and it's like, that's not right. But Martin has really read all this stuff, and not only does he know it, he'll cite his source. He'll say, oh, I read yes. a book on that. Yes. And I'll tell you the author's name and all about the book, and he'll tell you all about it, and then he'll go- but I don't know very much about it. What were you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, never mind. And he's, and, he, and he's not being a jerk. No. He's not being a jerk. Yeah. He's just that smart. Yep. It's, yeah. You have a conversation with Martin, and, and he makes you smarter. Like, after years of exposure to Martin, my ability to keep up, if someone new comes to lunch with Martin or someone new sees me talking to Martin, and he walks away, they're like, I couldn't even follow you guys. Like, it's not me. It's Martin. You just have to learn to keep up with him. Yep. It's interesting, though. So, like... When you talk about the game, normally you're not talking it in terms of how much you enjoy it. You're talking about the little nagging things that like get on your nerves. Uh, so it sounds like he's creating this amazingly rich environment. But like, what about this? What what about this? You know, would you change if you could? What would I change? Okay, well, I'll tell you one. Since, since again, Martin's not going to listen to this. Martin is amazing at world building, and he's amazing at coming up with the, your unintended consequences. He is a genius at unintended consequences that, that feel realistic. And you're like, well, that was stupid. That, that is what would really happen. I, I'm an idiot. Martin's really good at making you feel that way. But where Martin isn't so good is he doesn't really care about the rules or follow them. So, like, I, I said I had a fighter and a cleric. That's wrong. I actually have a barbarian and a cleric. I, I just forget because I basically have to play my barbarian like a fighter. Where I'm doing basic attack rolls, all my barbarian abilities like the whirlwind and all this kind of stuff you can do it in castles and crusades. I don't get to do it very much because when I say that I'm going to do this ability from the book, Martin gets this look on the, gets this look on his face. Like I'm trying to pull a fast one. Like he doesn't follow the rules very well. Um, if I get a crit, you know, Martin ignores the crit rules. Um, Martin wants to do the difficulty. Like I mentioned the 12 versus the 18. Martin wants to do it by feel like Martin will very often ask for a check and I'll roll my d20 and I'll say I got a 17 and he'll look thoughtful for a minute and then tell me what happens. And if you, if you read Tracy Hickman's book, extreme dungeon mastery, that's exactly what Tracy Hickman says that a, a good DM should do, but it gets on my nerves and I've started challenging Martin in kind of a subtle way, not passive aggressive, but just subtle where I'll roll and I'll look at my character sheet and I say, I succeed. And he's like, well, you don't know that. And I'm like, well, I rolled above an 18. So unless you have a challenge rating, you know, my target's 18. I rolled 20 whatever total. Unless your challenge is over seven, I succeeded. Yeah. So I, I've been challenging him to follow the rules a little bit more closely. But if he were to put his foot down and say, I'm not interested in doing that, I would still play in this game because it is an amazing experience. Do, do you think he's maybe intentionally... Like, 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 is he afraid that, hey, if Dusty makes a successful on some road I didn't think he was going to go down on, it's going to blow out the rest of this story? Like, is it is it intentional? Or do you think he's maybe just got got a concept in his head that he hasn't put numbers to and explained at the table before you make your roll? I think it's more the latter. 
I don't think he's worried about the the impact of the story because he's really good at letting us do whatever we want. And he's really good about if we do succeed wildly, letting it happen. But I, I just think he wants to play. A, I, want, I think he wants to hear the number first and then decide versus setting a difficulty and committing to it. And then I roll. So I I, th- I think he wants to hear the number and then kind of think about what that means. I I could see that getting frustrating really quick. Yeah, a bit. A bit again, it, it's it's minor. Yeah, it's a it's a thing that I have actually because of me challenging him slightly on the rules. I can see, I, I can see some behaviors changing at the table for the better as far as as far as actually following the rules. So I think I'm having an impact. But again, you know, I love Martin. I love his game. If Martin put his foot down, I was like, no, you know, we're basically just rolling D20s and I, I'll tell you what happens. Then I would totally do that. Okay, cool. Um, let's see here. So what about Martin's game? Do you think that you like so much that you wish that you could incorporate that you couldn't, but you couldn't because of time, because of, I mean, capacity. What would you love to incorporate, but you just don't have the resources to do it? You know what, man? I don't want to answer that question. I want to get to the end and I want to ask you what you've heard that you want me to incorporate. Cause my worst fear is that I answer your question right now and tell you what I don't have time for. And then it turns out you think that sounds really awesome and you'd love to have it. Okay. Can we go ahead and just answer? Sure. Well, I mean, are we, let, let me, let me see if there's anything. I mean, I we, can talk, we, can, we can talk about combat. I don't think we've talked about combat too much. Yeah. Uh, Oh, we haven't talked about, so, so sorry, we do have show notes in front of us. They were kind of going off script a little bit, which is great. Cause you're, you're more, um, spur of the moment that way, which is good. But I do want to talk about Martin's GMPCs. So do you guys know what a GMPC is, by the way? I included this in the show notes, but I didn't really explain That's it. That's what I was trying to ask so, earlier. Well, oh, it was. <laughs> where the GM runs a player character because yes. you don't have enough seated at the table. Yes. Yeah. So Martin does that, by the way. Martin runs two PCs. So we have a six PC party. And uh, Martin does something really interesting here that so I've never... So it's a land party. Sure. <laughs> six player characters, not six personal computers. Um, But uh, I run two, Bernard runs two, and then Martin himself runs two player characters. And I read all these horror stories online about GMPCs and what a terrible idea it is. They, are they like Mary Sue's? Is that Yes. What? So frequently in the horror stories that you read online, GMPCs are Mary Sue's that can do anything, and they're the real protagonists, and the PCs are there to help them out. Well, Martin doesn't do that, thankfully. Martin does this really cool thing instead. So so a couple things. Number one, the GMPCs never make decisions that drive the story. We can consult. One of the GMPCs is a rogue, and that's the only rogue we have. So we will consult with the rogue sometimes and ask his opinion, and Martin will give it, and it's always an interesting perspective. But that rogue won't volunteer things and, and won't drive the decisions. The other really interesting thing Martin does with his GMPCs is, is as we have character deaths, and as he has character deaths, he'll rotate in some different GMPC, and that GMPC usually has some secrets, usually has some things in the world they're trying to accomplish, and as we get to know that GMPC, it's like being on the road with a stranger, traveling together on this boat, and, and getting to know them. So there's that cool element of we're still exploring the world, even within our own party. And it's a great way to introduce, like, there's this one character that we didn't realize that she, she was a paladin and she died helping us. I mean, I mean, she was one of our, we've had a lot of character death because it's a pretty unforgiving game as far as combat. But uh, only after she died and her people came to get her, 
did we realize that she was the rightful heiress to this kingdom that was that was pretty far away <laughs> wow and i was like we could have figured that out he, I, I was like has that been the case the whole time and he's like, like yeah yeah i was like why didn't you tell us and he goes she doesn't you, t- she goes she doesn't talk about it you missed all the clues <laughs> well he you, that's not we missed. He, she, she doesn't talk about it gotcha so martin has this really rich character that we're fighting alongside of and you, you know and, and that's that's a, mike you know you make a great point that i didn't put in the show notes martin's game is like a bethesda game <laughs> like it's it's like skyrim oh wow where there's so much, much to stuff. do there's <laughs> so many seeds and hooks and plots and so many things to engage with that you can't you can't engage with it all you are always leaving content behind wow and when i run you guys i run you like a bioware game yeah we exhaust the content yeah yeah you can play this plot quest now or you can play it later it'll still be there like yeah. a bioware game yeah Mm-mm. Martin's game is like a Bethesda game where if you like, like the, this, we rented a room from this old couple who sold us out to some gnolls and we killed the gnolls and we came back the next day to give the old couple hell and we were really looking forward to it. Bernard and I were really looking forward to like showing up and being like, hey, we survived. Yeah. But they were already gone and it clearly been killed by some other gnolls who thought they betrayed them. So Martin's really good at, no, the world keeps moving around you. Wow. The world doesn't wait for you to show up. The world doesn't wait for, it's not, it's not the Truman show yeah. where everything in the world is cued on you. The world keeps on turning and you engage or you don't, but you miss opportunities all the time. That's that, that, that I don't know what to say. About, I wanted at first to say that has to take a lot of prep. But I don't get the feeling that Martin's prepping that. I, I feel like Martin is just organically doing that on the fly in his mind because that's how smart he is. Well, and he, w- w- when I say he's well read, he's yeah. very well read about history and civilizations, and he reads a lot. He reads more nonfiction than anyone I've ever met. Yeah, and history and civilization, and how civilization works and how people relate. And I mean, the dudes. Do, do you know what his bachelor's is in? No. Um, sociology. Oh. So this whole thing about having a society and, and, and what's the equilibrium the society reaches and, and how does it work and how does it function and all that, that's what his degree's in. So dude's really smart, and, and he has the background to build these really interesting societies. What's his master's degree in? I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think it's to do with criminology because I know he was... That's so funny. Karate. It's <laughs> karate. <laughs> yes, Martin also does have... He legit has multiple black belts. Yeah. Anyway. He is an exceptional person, and I am I am privileged to play in his game as often as he allows it. So now, talking a little bit about combat, what what is combat like in this system? And I'm actually more interested in how does he employ his characters in that combat with the GM. So here's how Martin runs combat. He never does initiative ever. He you don't roll anything. Like like we've gotten to where we roll once. Martin doesn't roll at all. Martin decides in his head whether you're surprised or whether they're surprised hmm. and whoever's surprised gets to go first and that's it. You don't get to go twice. You just get to go first. Wait, if you are surprised, you go first. No, no, no. If, if, if you surprise them, sorry, okay. if you surprise them, if they surprise you, they go first. I thought, like, Oh my God, let me just chip. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> opposite. Opposite. Strike that. Reverse it. Thank you. Um, no, no. If you are surprised, bad guys go first, but in my game, right? If, if the bad guys surprise you, they go first. And then we roll initiative. If they win initiative, they go again. Yeah. Nope. And Martin's game. So in Martin's game, there's none of that. He decides who goes first. And after that, when it's your turn, he'll say, all right, guys, what do you do? And 
I'll just start rolling dice and telling them what happens. And so does Bernard. And it's just kind of, it's very free form, but we'll have, a, that's, that's how a round goes. He tells us what's in front of us and what we can attack and we attack it. And, and it's in no particular order. My characters and Bernard's characters go in whatever order. And it doesn't matter because when it, cause it's, it's our turn and then Martin's turn and then our turn and then Martin's turn. And it makes combat go really easily. Now, because of the rules thing, I'm not saying that's how Castles and Crusades works. Castles and Crusades actually has an initiative order. I don't know how it works because we've never used it. <laughs> but uh, I imagine it's somewhere between the BFRPG, you roll a d6 every round, and the and the 5th edition, you roll a d20 once, and then that's your order forever. It's probably somewhere in between that, but we never play it. We play Martin's Way. And Martin's Way works well, but Martin throws very difficult enemies at us with a very high hit die. And uh, we almost die a lot. We are constantly almost dying. Wow. Uh, Martin is not merciful as far as the dice. The dice say what the dice say, and that is it in combat. It hits your AC or it doesn't, and we're all rolling in the open. Where Martin, where I have seen him get merciful, is if my character's on, on my last legs, then sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the monsters will attack someone else. And that's how he'll control difficulty. But yeah, combat is is very very much like Pathfinder, very very much like Pathfinder, where you throw the initiative rules out the window, and you're always punching out of your weight class. So, I don't know if I asked this or if Mike asked it and I missed it. Are you playing with minis or is this theater of the mind? Always theater of the mind. Never never minis. Okay. Sometimes he'll sketch something and show it to us, but no minis, no maps. I mean, sometimes I map what he's describing, and I'm trying my best to map it. Sometimes he'll let us get in a certain way a way into whatever we're doing, and then he'll show us a piece of a map. But it's it's all theater of the mind. So so going back to the whole setting storytelling by setting, does he ever have like a reoccurring antagonist? So so does he does he have an antagonist? He hooks back into that story, you know, to make the Star Trek analogy. Do the Klingons, you know, ever show up and and you have an ongoing? storyline where you're 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 working against the Klingons or you're working for a faction to defeat another faction. He had that for a session or two with so one of my characters came from this place in his world called Cold Corner, which is inhabited by barbarians who followed us. And for a couple sessions they were following us, but we dealt with them and that was that. So no, not really. There there's not the one big bad that we're chasing down. It really and it feels like there's no like if we just died there's no necromancer summoning a demon army that's going to overrun the world. It's just a world with a lot of crap happening, and we just happen to live in it. And it's messy, just like our world, and it's complicated, just like our world. And there's not this one thing going on that we're trying to solve. Now, there is the sunken continent, and both Bernard and I have, have quests that we defined that Martin has looped into the sunken continent. But I very much get the sense that if the sunken continent were raised... It would probably affect that corner of the world, and it'd be a little annoying for a while. And then again, society would reach this equilibrium after yeah. some casualties. Hey guys, new land. Let's make settlements. Hooray. Yeah, or, or, or hey, these monsters attacked us for a while, but after a while, they can't support a constant, sustained invasion of this huge continent of humans, and and it peters out. And the far-flung kingdoms are still okay. Like you don't get the sense that anything's going to end the world because the world is the world. And the world is complicated, and the world there's a lot to the world, and the world will certainly change. But I don't. There's not this world-ending big bad we're trying to chase down. 
So it's probably fair to say it's it's a very low fantasy world where 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 things have real world consequences and things play out in a real world kind of way. It does yeah, it feels that way. Okay. And then a lot's based on economics and all that. Yeah, there's a lot going on and it's not it's not Tolkien, right? There's not the one bad guy taking over the whole world. There's there's just not. That's not feasible. It doesn't make any sense to Martin, therefore it doesn't make any sense in his world. Yeah, Max agrees. Max agrees. All right, so I think we've covered everything in the show notes that we wanted to cover about the game. I really do like Castles and Crusades. It's it's a personal thing, but I really love the way it's written. I love the books. Um, I back it. I, I will say I probably will never run any of their adventures because their adventures it, it, they're so dense. Oh my gosh! I'd say if I could tell if I could tell the Prologue games to improve anything, it'd be to release some adventures that are a little easier to read, a little 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 bit less text, but. I love the system. I love the world. Um, or sorry, the rules. I, I, I love all that. But now I want to turn around. To you. So what have you heard that you would want me to incorporate? If anything. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know that I would want you to incorporate specifically anything because I'm not saying it sounds like for me, it's almost either or it's kind of like it's Star Trek or it's Star Wars. And your games are more Star Wars, and his games sound like they're more Star Trek. Yeah, sure. That, and, make, that makes sense. And I think they sound awesome. But also, at the same time, I don't know that, like, this continu- like this ongoing living continuity um, of... Like, I, I love Bethesda games. I mean, I am unabashedly a fan of, of them. And... I love the fact that there's this world going on and there's just so much stuff going on. But at the same time, I like, I'm obsessive when it comes to knowing something and, and having like some sort of level of intimacy with the world or, or whatever I'm experiencing. So it's like, I can experience everything in your game unless we just take, you know, unless there's a path not taken, unless we have a choice a, and a choice B, and we go with A, and we don't know what's going to happen. We didn't know what happened with choice B because we didn't take it. Um, but I just like that concrete feeling that I have of experiencing everything. Like I, I would love to play Martin's game, but I don't know that I could get the same level of uh, enjoyment out of playing the same that that rich world with the style of combat and gameplay that we have. It just seems like they they. Almost they're incompatible. You have to change your way of thinking with that rich world. You have yeah. to change the way you're th- you think. And like right now, we're in Kadim, which is Martin's Martin's version of Alkadim. And Alkadim is like this this D and D setting that takes on. I mean, you could argue that there are in today's uh, more enlightened world some aspects some very negative sociological aspects of imbuing this world with with the with the mystique of the other and using the the thousand and one arabian nights flavor to have a very culturally insensitive view of what an an arabic culture might look like in a fantasy world you could certainly argue that but martin is using the thousand one arabian nights flavor and this al-kadim stuff from back in the day to create this Kadim continent in his world where it is very alien to us. And it really feels like Martin has legit studied enough like Persian culture where 
Of course he has. Of course he has. To have that be accurate and not offensive. To have it be accurate and not offensive. And, and you know, we'll go, we, we usually get wings after we play because Waldo's Wings is right there in Winston where we play. And I love Waldo's. It's my favorite wings on earth. No affiliation. No affiliation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll go have wings and I'll say, Martin, how much of that's real? And he'll tell me about some book he read or, or something where he's, I feel like I'm getting educated in Martin's world, but it's messy and complicated and, and slavery is a big part of that world and and it's more to do with economic caste there but my character doesn't like slavery for very good reasons and wants to end it but there's this whole continent this whole society built on it and like good luck changing that in terms of martin's world so i'm doing what i can as an individual character but there's this there's this sense of this problem is too big for my character to solve this is just the way this society is and there's some degree of going along to get along just like the real world. And I don't like it just like the real world. And I'm uncomfortable with it just like the real world. And that sums up Martin's games. I'm often uncomfortable by the level of choice that I have and by the level of choice that I don't have. And you're, you're not uncomfortable though, by what he's serving you. Like we experienced in the past. No, 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 no. It's just, it's a, it's uncomfortable the way it would be in real life. If you, if you really went back in time, and experience this different way of thinking that was dehumanizing to other people, it, it, it would be uncomfortable, but what could you do? So it, it, it's kind of like when we, we talk about dusk a lot, but how I just had that sick feeling in my stomach based on the choice that we made to, you know, cause injury to those uh, people that I, we felt were innocent. And But that's like the one thing that I point to is like when I really, really felt it when it came to the RPing. But it sounds like you get that much more frequently. Yeah. And and I can't describe enough how everything around us we could engage with or not. Everything around us is deep and rich. So, for example, in Martin's world of Kadeem, you can hire, you know, these, these kids, basically, these orphans to show you around. And there's this one lady that runs all the orphans that can show you around for a few silver pieces you know, they're, they're guides, basically. You pay them a few silver, they, they take you where you want to go in this very confusing, noisy world of, of Kadeem. Well, one of the kids got sick or got injured, and I healed the kid, and I, I took an interest in this kid, and I start trying to, like, follow this kid, and Martin's like, you never see him again, you never see him again. And finally, he's like, you know what? Roll. Roll, roll wisdom. And I succeed, and he's like, you, you realize you've never seen the same kid twice. And I'm like, What? And now I want to dig into that. Like everything in this <laughs> she's world. She's farming the kids. Everything. I don't know what she's doing yeah. with the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we're now, we're now fi- trying to figure her out. And, and because we became interested in her, Martin gave us more content. Like we, we discovered far below in the Undercity. So the deeper you go, the older stuff gets in the Undercity. We found this fresco with what is clearly her face from hundreds of years ago. That's awesome. So now we're like, is she a vampire? Is she... A, and we don't know. That's where we left off. So everything from the from the from the seemingly mundane people that you hire to get stuff done to I mean the mayor to, to whatever to whoever you're dealing with, everything is interesting content that you can engage with. And you don't always successfully engage. Sometimes sorry, you know, you yeah, you killed this person. You, you know what? You, you pissed this person off and you killed them and now you'll never know. That's like oh, <laughs> And that's Martin's game. Wow. And it's so different. But it, it feels it feels like the most old school of old school games I've ever played. I, I really like the idea of unintended consequences. And, and I think I'd like 
So I'm going to say this cautiously. I think I would like you to start implementing that in our game, but I can see that getting really frustrating really yep. quick too. But but I think I'd like that because I think for me personally, it would break some of my gamer brain problems that I've ran into with our games where I'm you know, pushing every button trying to find the secret door. <laughs> so. Yes, you can. You, Mike, what Mike's referring to is that you can tell when he plays. And Susan, my wife, has seen you play and commented on it. Mike thinks he can win every interaction. That there's yeah. that there just like in a Bethesda game, there's that right series of things to say or that right role or that right thing you can do to win every interaction. And some interactions are just some interactions are the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Anything else, guys? No, it, it's a great game, it's a different game and I and and I'm lucky to play in it and I wanted to share a little bit about a completely different way to think about gaming. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's RPG Lessons Learned. We'll see you next week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>